Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast episode number 81. Um, so when did that turn into a passion to like actually start to grow the scene? Well, so it started off with a little bit like selfish motives, I'll say, is that um, I just wanted some people to dance with, you know, mm -hmm. like for myself to be able to dance with. I wanted to be able to have a social, first of all, um, that I could go to. Um, so I created a social and uh, then I wanted some people to dance with. So I trained some, you know, I wanted to teach some people to dance, um, to dance Kizomba. There, there was some Kizomba in Ottawa, like even Babs had been coming back prior. Like there was often at least one person coming back from Montreal to give classes, but it wasn't, um, it was maybe like a once a week thing. Like it, um, I don't know that when I arrived, let's just say that there was a lot of like, <laughs> Um, people dancing like Kole, you know, you know, with the head, the head touching and mm -hmm. like a lot of leaning happening and very, uh, I mean, the style in um, Montreal had already kind of moved past that point, but in Ottawa, it was still there, let's say. DJ Johnny Ray. Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast coming at you with another weekly episode. And this week we have one of my good friends on the line that I've known for a few years now. I even have to think about when we first met. Maybe we can get into that a little bit. It was maybe... Um three weeks before we taught together so whichever year that was that you came to ottawa but that wasn't when you brought me to ottawa yeah yeah that was because i remember you had gone to montreal before that and then i brought you to ottawa from montreal so the only time that i actually met you was when i went down to montreal um for their event that's when we met for the first yeah, time. I, I must have met you in Montreal for sure. I think that yeah. was it. But in some one of these years. But mm -hmm. yes, um, on the line we have my friend Lindsay Hutton, which is she currently resides in Ottawa. So thank you so much for joining us today. No problem. Thanks for inviting me. And so yeah, I've been doing my weekly episodes from a podcast, and I know we've kind of been in touch. Uh, here and there this year, which has been crazy, but even um, we collaborated a little bit Ottawa and then you were going to Asia and then you came back from Asia because of all the craziness. And I think <laughs> you're scheduled to go back to Asia again. So we'll get into all of that. But 
Um, it'll be really cool to sit down and just learn a little bit about your dance, dance journey and more about you. So yeah. Sounds good. For the people who are listening now, who may have been, I guess, are just now hearing about you for the first time, I guess you aren't actively teaching Kizomba now, but can you give a little bit of a snapshot of what you were doing in the kids scene, I guess, before you left for Asia the first time? I guess that'll be like a good synopsis for people to realize what you're doing then. Yeah. Um, so I may be most well known through my school, Toka Kizomba in Ottawa, um, which is I guess you could still say it's currently an active school. Um, the only reason that it's not active right now is because of COVID. But um, even though I'm not currently teaching there, um, all of my uh, previous students who became instructors at the school have now taken it over and are um, are taking on that role of teaching. Um, but before I left to Asia, I was touring a lot doing... Um, some congresses and uh, bringing performance troops also to the congresses. Um, that's probably what I was doing like just before leaving. And uh, I guess we'll get into a bit of bit more about my background after, right? For sure. Definitely. Yeah. I definitely remember you leading more so than following as far as I guess Social media, I guess, uh, when you're starting to get more well-known, I guess, outside of Canada a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, there are a couple of videos of you dancing with Vinori, um, Veronica. I don't know why I tried to say her name with a French accent, but... <laughs> <laughs> she said it with a French accent, and it doesn't sound right in English, right? Yeah. Veronique. Uh, Veronique. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I remember seeing uh, videos of you leading Urban Kids, and I guess... I'm not sure if there were a lot of followers who were leading in urban kids at the level that you're leading urban kids at that point in time. Maybe this was 2018-ish? Well, so we met maybe in, I can't remember if it was 2018 you came to Ottawa or 2017, but I was leading before that as well. Practically when I started my company, I started as a lead um, because I had tried when I, when I had first moved back to Ottawa, cause I'm, mm -hmm. I wasn't always in Ottawa. We'll get into that later, but um, I had tried to start working with a DJ um, who I knew because he used to come down to Montreal sometimes. So it sort of got to the point where, you know how teaching isn't exactly the same as dancing itself. Exactly. There's, there are other skills required with teaching and it was, it was getting too difficult for me to sort of backseat drive in terms of teaching at my school. So I figured it would actually be easier to train myself to lead rather than try to train someone else to lead me. Mm -hmm. So that's how I ended up taking on the role um, of the lead because there was a girl in Ottawa, um, Amy Lee, who was pretty strong at that time as a follow. So I actually found it was a lot easier um, to work with her as myself, like me leading and her following, um, we were able to get further with the, with the classes that way and with the level of the material that we were able to provide. So I started that in 2015, 
And actually, my first time leading in general was probably 2014 fall because I had moved to Toronto that year for my teaching degree. And um, Janelle lives there, you know, Janelle, Tin Man and Janelle's Janelle. So we used to get together sometimes and uh, practice leading each other. And then I also that year had given a few workshops in Toronto where I was teaching. So therefore, um, it was like a nightclub type of scenario. And I sort of had, I didn't have like a specific partner that I was working with. So I was, I was also providing material for leads and follows at that time. Was Kizomba the first dance that you started leading in? Actually, no. I uh, I used to salsa dance before Kizomba. So maybe I started salsa when I was like 14. So maybe like seven years prior to doing any Kizomba, I was doing salsa. And it got to the point with the classes that I had started um, sort of filling in. You know, when you get to a certain level and then the instructor asks you to come back and fill in for the leads and for the follows. So mm-hmm. I was sort of um, I was sort of assisting, I guess you could say, um, at leading. And then after that, during high school, I um, started a salsa club at my school. I was really into salsa. Like you would never believe that I could be that into Kizomba after being as into salsa as I was. Did you perform <laughs> in salsa too? I did. I had um, a salsa partner named Nabil. And um, actually, he was my first contact with African dance as well. We were working together when I was in high school and we used to do like local shows and things. And I had I actually um, in my first couple of years of university, I also had started giving classes when I would come back to Ottawa for the summer. So I had a school It was called Hypnosis Dance, like hip, like H.I.P. Mm hmm get it <laughs> no i'm just joking um it's okay. yeah so <laughs> yeah so um i had my hypnosis dance school and um through that i was also doing a little bit of leading because i was teaching you know basic level salsa classes where i was showing the male role as well as the female role or the or the lead and the follow roles I didn't have a partner that i was working with for that i got you so I know we just jumped into like a random spot in your dance journey and we'll go back to the beginning and talk about that a little bit. But I guess I just was curious about where you're also started leading, because I know when I first saw you, I think we of course we danced and I was the lead and you were the follow. But then I think after that, uh, I definitely remember a couple of the videos that you put out um, with you leading And I think that was also kind of like new territory for a lot of followers, because I think at that point in the Kizoma scene, I think the, there are a lot of complaints about the lead follow ratio in a lot of events, Mm -hmm. even in Europe. And I think obviously the solution uh, is going to be the fastest solution is for the followers to start to dance with themselves before a lead needs to come and take classes and in, in terms of time, you know, And I feel like now it's definitely more common with a lot of followers starting to lead now. But I think maybe about two, three years ago, that definitely was not the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely was not the case when I started. Like we have to remember that um, even when I started my school, so I started Kizomba in 2012. 
but I started my school TOCA in Ottawa when I moved back in 2015, which is when I really started teaching as a lead in Kizomba. And at that point, there weren't any other people really leading that I knew of um, other than, you know, people who I had like Janelle, who I had practiced with in Toronto, but no, mm-hmm. none of those people were teaching as a lead. So I was really the only one that I had heard of at the time. And then mm-hmm. I remember maybe a year or two later, um, I had seen footage of UPA at a Congress in Canada and she was leading. And I was like, Oh, it's another female lead. But like, like it was really that rare that I would see mm-hmm. any female leading whatsoever. Um, I think the most popular video that came out where you, where people maybe saw me leading for the first time, if they didn't know me was um, at Montreal is Kizomba 2017 in the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one that I did with Veronique. We were both wearing the maroon colored shirts. Um, and that was the first time that I had actually been professionally videoed as a lead through a Congress. So I had mm-hmm. a different platform than just me recording my own, you know, recording videos of myself uh, leading. Exactly. But at, by that point, I had already been leading for two years when that video came out. And then we met after that. Mm-hmm. We met maybe like later that year or even the year after, possibly. I got you. So for those of you who are listening, um, I'm pretty sure we can find that video and include it in the show notes on the podcast so people can take a look at that. Um, but yeah, so that's about three years ago. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it was 2017. Yeah. I think that's sure. about right. I think it was 17. Yeah. When that video came out. For sure. There were some others that I had put out by myself before that, but I don't know how many people actually saw them. Um, yeah, it's interesting, definitely with the exposure that a particular um, festival can give to you. But then sometimes yeah. you can put out your own content and sometimes that can gain a lot of popularity. So it's definitely both of them can happen, you know? That's true. I've never considered myself to be um, particularly strong in terms of marketing myself through social media. So I don't really know how many followers I had who were who were watching me or any of that. But but Congresses definitely give um, light to it. For sure. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about your leading and your salsa journey, and that's just kind of touching the surface a little bit. I know that you have a more extensive dance background. So uh, let's go ahead and go into our time machine. And (laughs) can you let our listeners know, like, when did you actually get first introduced to dance? So dance in general is a little bit, it's a bit vague for me because I actually come from a figure skating background. And it's funny discussing with other Kizomba instructors about this, because actually there are a few who were figure skaters before, like Isabel, who I taught with at Neo Kiz, she was also a figure skater when she was younger. Um, but I did that competitively until high school. So I basically, <laughs> I had no life outside of figure skating. I really mm. did that like four days a week, probably. I was at the rink several hours. Um, the only other type of dance that I was really interested in apart from that was tap dancing. <laughs> so I have the bizarre combination of figure skating and tap dancing up until age of about 13 or 14 um and then after that i have dabbled in other styles that i won't really talk about just because it was you know a month here a month there but um so then i went to um a performing arts high school and it was a bit intensive um so i ended up kind of uh 
transitioning out of figure skating, I won't say that I quit because it wasn't like a, it was a gradual thing. Um, I started doing less figure skating and getting more involved with um, theater. I was in the theater program at the school um, and it required a lot of um, extra work outside of school for like productions and stuff like that. Um, I actually always wanted to be in the dance program at the school, but I'll tell you, I was actually too shy to, um, too shy to audition because I knew that the other girls who were auditioning had, you know, taken ballet since they were two type thing. So I didn't think that I could get in. So I never auditioned for it. Um, so that's how I ended up in theater. Um, and then during that time in high school, I started salsa dancing and also get, so getting into more partner dancing. Um, I also did some ballroom dance at the same studio that I was taking the salsa classes at. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> I had a boy in my theater class who was like my ballroom partner. <laughs> and then I was also doing some African dance on the side. So I was taking, I was taking classes um, with a woman named Lainey and it was, a traditional dance style from Guinea Conakry in West Africa. So that's the style that you see sometimes with like a lot of jumping and like live djembe drums. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did that for a few years as well. And as I said before, I had a partner named Nabil um, and he was from Benin. He was my salsa partner, but um, he was going to Ottawa U, which has a huge... Uh, African population because it's um, a bilingual university in Ottawa. So they used to have these massive house parties. That's how we do it in Ottawa because um, we're a pretty small city. So there's not a lot of clubs and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So there was one club I remember called M lounge on the Gatineau side that we used to go to um, maybe or maybe not before I was 18. And that was the only African club or, well, the only club that I knew about that would play African music. There were no Afrobeat classes or anything of that sort. So there was just the traditional Guinean dance um, class that I was taking. And then I was exposed to like, you know, Coupe de Calais and Dumbolo um, Mm -hmm. through these house parties. They would stay up all night dancing and just like hit after hit. And, you know, it was um, a very uh, social... Uh, situation, dance circles where people would go in and dance one at a time. And, you know, I didn't have any moves at the time. So I, I sort of quickly um, picked some of those up from my friends so that I could uh, participate. Um, but that was probably the best exposure. In these parties, there was no partner dancing yet as far as the African parties go, yeah? Um, there was, but not Kizamba. So um, salsa has always been really big in Ottawa. So um a lot of those guys, they knew how to dance salsa. So they'd put on, um, they'd put on salsa as part of kind of the mix of music that went on. Gotcha. Um, there were some guys who uh, danced bachata and stuff as well. Um, it was really just like a mesh of all different uh, flavors. Oh, and also Zouk. You know, they'd play Zouk and we'd dance. Not Brazilian Zouk, but like Caribbean Zouk. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Compa even. Nice. Yeah. So we did do a little bit of... Um, informal partner dancing, I guess you could say. And then I went off to uh, university. So I went to um, Concordia in Montreal and I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Contemporary Dance. So that was like a four-year contemporary dance experience. So in contemporary, is, is that like the style contemporary or is it like modern jazz ballet? Is that all included or is that separate? 
So it's interesting that you say that because the contemporary dance I would describe um, at the school was more like saying the dance of today. Like if you mm. think of it that way. Um, so there were, what was interesting about it is that they accepted people from all different dance backgrounds, which was perfect for me because I wasn't, I wasn't classically trained. Um, one thing I forgot to mention with high school was that I really did want to be in the dance program. And I took the single credit, like non-dancer classes for four years. And they actually let me come back and do a victory lap at the, at the high school in dance. So I did get a little bit of formal um, training in ballet and modern dance before auditioning for this program, which really helped. But, um, but it was really interesting because the dancers in this program were like flamenco dancers. There were like a good amount of b-boys. There were circus performers, all different types. There was even like a woman who did who did like buto dance and people were of all ages as well so like i think the oldest person was maybe in her 50s who was in our program um we were a small group it was like 20 of us per year that were part of this contemporary dance um program and it was very very experimental so <laughs> i remember specifically one time that i had to dress in a bare skin and there was like this performance art piece that the choreographer had come up with. And I had to go down St. Catherine. I don't know if you're familiar with that street, but it's like one of the biggest streets in Montreal mm -hmm. dressed like a bear and acting like a bear. Like I went into the Starbucks as a bear and I don't know, it was, it was like a installation piece, but yeah, it was really experimental. Like, I mean, even the performances that we would do, um, the program was very much based on choreography. So um, choreography was like the biggest component of the program. Um, and even some of the choreogra choreographies had, you know, shirtless, uh, topless dancers, um, or even sometimes totally naked dancers. I've seen some videos of that. Yeah. So there's like, I would say there's like a type of a form of dance that they call contemporary. That's like the commercial contemporary dance, which is what you'll see at like a dance competition or like on. So you think you can dance like that type of contemporary dance is different than what we were doing. Um, and the training we were getting in terms of technique training was more based in modern dance and a little bit of uh, classical dance as well, but they would also bring in other um, elements like, um, you know, they'd have specialty instructors come in and teach us like about uh, contact prov or like Feldenkrais methods or different types of, of um, techniques as well. So it wasn't limited. It was anything but limited pretty much. Nice. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the figure skating. Oh, okay. that seems to be a little bit or that seemed to be like a major focus in your early childhood. Was there a particular goal? Um, you said competitively as well. How was that, I guess, life while you were living that um, in that particular time? So I would say um, it did have a bit of an influence on what came after because there's a, a component of figure skating called ice dance where you're actually dancing with a partner. So there's like set routines, like the, the steps are already laid out for you and you have different levels that you can achieve in that. And when it comes to like uh, free skating, um, like just dancing, um, skating by yourself, it mm -hmm. kind of got to a point where I went through puberty and all of a sudden I had boobs and 
it really throws your balance off. So a lot of people, that's kind of like a pivotal moment for people who do figure skating is like how well you transition through that time. Um, and I'll be honest, like I really wasn't a very good jumper. <laughs> like I'll mm. say that. I, I just, you know, my jumps were not very high. I could do when I quit, I could do um, up to like two and a half rotations in the air and land it clean, but I never really got into the triples um, and everything. So, and it was a very popular sport. Like there was really a lot of competition, even just to make it to like, um, you know, competing against a quarter of Ontario and then Ontario and then nationals. Right. So mm-hmm. I was sort of like, okay, unless I'm going to be going to the Olympics, like it really is an expensive sport. And maybe I want to try my luck at dancing on the ground is what I would say. <laughs> Cause I liked all of the artistry and everything involved with the figure skating. But when it came to the jumping, I wasn't as strong, which is more like the sport side of the figure skating. So I thought that maybe it would be, um, interesting for me to start dancing more like but just on the ground and not on the ice gotcha and did you choose to do figure skating or was there influence from your parents to decide to figure skate honestly i don't remember because like i really started maybe when i was five or something but i think it was probably my choice to a certain extent like i think my parents you know gave me some options of at the time we were living in like a suburb of, of Ottawa and there really weren't that many sports that you could do out there. So she, they probably said, okay, you can do um, skating or you can do swimming or you can do tennis or, you know, and I probably picked the skating. So I, got you. I don't really remember. <laughs> it was so long ago. Nice. No, I didn't know that she figure skated. So I was just curious about that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So after the figure skating, um, you got some dance, you studied dance in university and mm-hmm. you graduated university. And what were your next steps then? Well, okay. So then we start getting into the Kizomba aspect. If you want to, if you want to hear a little bit about that. Sure. Where um, was your first Kizomba exposure? Okay. So back up to like 2010, um, Montreal you sort of saw some glimmers of Kizomba starting to appear like, you know, um, you, you started to hear the name a little bit, but no one really knew what it was. Um, and I would attend these socials. Um, at the time I was really into salsa. So I would go to this social called the Mercredi Salsa Zouk, which was, um, a popular event in Montreal. And what I really liked about it, um, was that, well, you know, Montreal has a really big Haitian community. So it was Haitian run and they would sort of fuse in sets of zouk and compa with the salsa. So mm. you'd have salsa, a set of salsa, and then you'd have a set of zouk or compa. And um, I was really enjoying the partner dancing from that aspect. And they actually did play like some ghetto zouk, like uh, Nelson Freitas and stuff, but no mm-hmm. one really was dancing Kizomba. We were just dancing like zouk, like just back and forth. But then people sort of had their own swag to it. So people started to add little steps in here and there. Right. I got you. But I hadn't seen like, even when certain schools opened saying, you know, Kizomba, we were sort of like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like we'll believe it when we see it, you know, kind of like, okay, what's this new dance. Um, And it was, nothing like what I saw when I went to Paris. So Mm. for my fourth year of university, 
I did an exchange. I, I participated in an exchange program um, to do my last semester of school in, um, in Paris, in Saint-Denis. So when I was over there, I was going out salsa dancing, but I realized that um, pretty much all of the salsa events that I was attending had either like a set of kizomba mixed in with it, or they had like a separate room, like at Metropolis, for example, they had like a separate room dedicated to kizomba. Mm -hmm. Um, So it kind of got to a point where I was like, okay, I have to learn this dance. Otherwise, like I can't, it was sort of like, you know, if you went to a salsa uh, salsa event and you didn't know how to dance cha-cha. So every time a cha-cha came on, you had to sit down, right? Exactly. No one wants to do that. So this was 2012. um, Yeah. This was 2012. Yeah. Okay. So that semester, like starting January, 2012. And then I, so I was taking some of the free classes that were before the social at the event called Agua. And mm-hmm. it was Anais that was teaching them, you know, more Anasso's old partner. Mm-hmm. I did an interview um, with her a few years ago, but I'll link her you? podcast in the, in the show notes if you don't know who she is. Yeah. So, um, so I had gone to a few of her, her classes before, um, and I had sort of, you know, caught on to a little bit socially, but anyways, um, I met a guy, of course, his name was, um, Ange and we started dating while I was in Paris and he had a car. Okay. And he, (laughs) he used to, uh, (laughs) I lived very far. Okay. I was like at the end of line number 13 for those who live in Paris, you know? Um, it was way out in the suburbs and, uh, you know, he would come and pick me up and he'd bring me, he was really interested in Kizomba. So he would bring me, um, to all of the, the good events. Like there was, um, a place called my boat that I really liked. I remember and my boat. Mm-hmm. Do you? Wow. Cause yeah. I don't think it exists anymore. Like I think it's been gone for years that one. Yeah. So my first I think my first European trip was also 2012, but in December for my birthday. And I think I went back again every year for like maybe three or four years. And I definitely remember going to an event and DJ Mattis was there and it was at the, the, my boat. So you had to like kind of cross the bridge and it was like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah. I have some funny stories about that because, um, you know, I, like I had some footage, I don't know if I could find this footage, but, um, from when I was at like going to those events and I remember, uh, there was, um, I think, Okay. I'm going to totally mess this name up, but I think it was a couple named Dilson and Bernadette, if that sounds familiar. That sounds like a Okay, so they were doing a demo and I was noticing in in later years, okay, I was noticing that it was like, um, you look at the side and, oh, there's Moon. Oh, there's Anna. You know, like mm-hmm. all these people who are well known now were like videotaping their demo. Um, I actually, at my boat, I took a lesson once with, I think it was Sherazad and Curtis teaching. Sherazad, that's like yeah. way back. So yeah, yeah, a lot of people don't know who these people are anymore. But well, that's good. They need to know. <laughs> I'll so, tell you, 2012 yeah. in Paris, like the names that you heard often. Well, at least for me, I don't know. Like I was kind of an outsider, so I wasn't like in in the know. But mm-hmm. like as an outsider, the names that I was hearing of like people to take lessons from let's say were um Simeon exactly uh, Curtis Morinasso and uh Tony Pirata those were mm-hmm. the names that I heard and Sherazad too was on the on the list yes um 
Anyways, yeah. Oh, and another funny story about my boat. So <laughs> I actually danced with Anna there for the first time, like as a beginner dancer. Okay. And um, I just remember he came into the, into the club and he was like so flashy. And I remember saying to my boyfriend at the time, I was like, Oh my God, like, look at that guy. He's such a good dancer. And he was like, he was doing some sort of, <laughs> it was like a Michael Jackson thing. Like he was doing the, like, he, he was doing some sort of a freestyle kind of hip hop thing in the corner, you know? And mm. I was like, Oh my God, he's, I'm like, Oh my God, he's such a good dancer. And I'm like, I really want to dance with him, but I'm like, I suck, you know, like I'm beginner. I don't think he's going to want to dance with me. <laughs> and I remember dancing with him because um, my boyfriend went up to him and asked him on my behalf. Mm-hmm. And I remember him not being very impressed, which I'm happy. Like you remember the Congress that we were at together a couple of years ago in Toronto, Haley's Congress. Yes. And he was there. And yeah. And it was like redemption, you know, <laughs> for that really bad dance that I gave him several years well, ago. That's in also, Paris. <laughs> he grew as a lead as well, you know? So I'm, I'm curious what his style was at that particular time. I can't tell you really what his lead was like, because my perception as a beginner follow is probably very warped, you know? Exactly. For sure. Okay. So my, my boyfriend um, at the time, we started taking classes together um, with Morin Asso. Um, he was teaching out of like a Latin studio. And um, I actually, it, it worked out well for me um, because I think I had registered maybe for like level two, let's say, because I had caught a little bit, you know, I didn't want to do level one, which is horrible, okay? No one listened to this. Um, <laughs> I, didn't do, I didn't do level one because I had done, you know, some of the free classes and I had a dance background and stuff. And I sort of, I didn't want to get bored to death with, with level one. So I did level two, um, which was before, I guess, maybe the level three class. And there was a guy in the level three class who within the same week had like lost his partner for this performance that they were putting on. Um, so he asked me if I wanted to be his partner. Um, so he kind of like, I don't I didn't know him or anything, but he just kind of like, I guess, saw me in the level two class and was like, Hey, like, do you want to take part in this? So I ended up sort of taking level two and level three. And then on the side, they were, they had this little choreography group. So I would go with him sometimes on the weekends. Um, and Morin Asso had like a little, like a troop, you know, like a choreography troop. So I was getting like more training than I had signed up for in nice. Kizomba. In a and short amount of time. Was this when Mordenasso was with Anais? Yeah, he was. But um, but the classes that he was teaching, he wasn't teaching them with her. But she, I think she was maybe... No, she wasn't. I, she, I was going to say she was part of that performance troupe. Like, I saw her there. But no, like, I didn't... He was partnered with her, but they weren't teaching necessarily together at, like, the local joints, you know? And another funny thing... so. Um, I had actually, and I, I actually have text messages from this moment, but, um, I had been taking classes with like Nat and Danny and they, like, no one knew they weren't like famous or anything. They weren't going to, um, festivals events or anything, you know, they weren't, they weren't involved with the Kizomba scene, but just as a separate thing, like I had been doing my African dance classes in Montreal and stuff. And I, I was, you know, uh, I had heard that in um, in Mon- in uh, Paris, you could actually take classes in like Afro beats and all these like urban styles, right? So I had signed up. I was taking classes with like Nat and Danny and another guy called um, Lionel Vero. Mm-hmm. 
um, who's who's really good too. And also this other guy, Elve Bamina, who probably no one knows about, but I really liked Elve Bamina because he would do like sort of a fuse, like sometimes he'd do Dumbelow, sometimes he'd do Coupe de Calais. And um, he had like a practice troupe as well, um, or like a performance troupe. Um, so I got like extra training through him as well in Sarcelles on the weekend. Um, I would take the RER train and um, you know, we do like six hour practices every Sunday. And he was like, he was like a really intense drill master. So like, I feel like I really improved a lot through dancing with him. But I remember I actually wrote to, to Nat because Danny was like, <laughs> he was like maybe like 10 at the time, you know, like he was really, really tiny. Um, and I was like, oh, like I really enjoyed your classes, but I'm going to have to stop going to them because I want to learn Kizomba. <laughs> And I actually had quit the Nat and Danny class mm. in order to learn Kizomba with Morinasso. And it was on the, you know, the class was on the same day of the week. But anyways, it's nice. just funny, you know. Yeah, um, for sure. Thinking about it now, for sure. How long were you in Paris? Even uh, even Stu, like, do you know Stu? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I met him in Paris, too, because <laughs> of this random moment where I was at Metropolis and they... Okay, I had a lot of Senegalese friends in Paris. Um, I don't know. There were just like a lot of Senegalese people who were living in my area and stuff. And um, they had brought me to the metropolis, one, one of my groups of friends. And for some reason, like at the end of the night, like maybe at like 6 a.m., because, you know, those events stand late. Um, there was like a circle and they were doing like a like bala, right? Like the, the Saba dance style which is like the Senegalese dance style and um there was like a dance circle going on and I think Stu was the one who was DJing that but anyways I was there like my friends had kind of joined into this circle because they all knew how to do it and then they switched over and they were playing like coupe de calais or something and they pushed me into the circle and I was like oh my god I didn't know what to do so I did like a couple moves that I learned from my dance class and um then afterwards Stu Stu came and introduced himself and we, we got to chatting and it's just funny how you see these people again, like six years later or whatever, after not having seen them again. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It was, it was a really good year. Um, sorry. So you were asking how long, yeah, I was asking, I was there? how long were you in Paris overall? And then I guess you took all these Kizoma classes and you went back to Montreal or Ottawa. Okay. So after Paris, um, I went back to Montreal and I was working at Puma and I was actually only in Paris for maybe like one semester. So that's like six months. Maybe I was there. It wasn't, it wasn't a huge amount of time that all of this happened in. Um, but after I came back to Montreal, um, I had seen from Facebook and stuff that there were maybe some like some Kizomba groups that were sort of starting out, like you would see maybe like footage of a workshop somewhere in Kizomba or, you know, some instructor would come. So I'd seen that there was, there were some little hints of Kizomba here and there, but I hadn't actually come across anything like solid. So for the first few months of being back in Montreal, I, I didn't like, I didn't have any, grasp of any like Kizomba community whatsoever. Um, but then my boss at Puma, 
um, he was an African guy as well. And he was friends with Babs. And he's like, oh, I have a friend who does Kizomba. And sort of at first, I didn't believe him because I'm like, okay, you know, I don't know who the Kizomba people are in, in Montreal, but you know. But it actually turned out like he actually... He knew Babs um, and like, I was like, oh, Babs actually dances Kizomba. Like, and I, at the time it wasn't, you know, um, the same Kizomba as I had seen in Paris. So when I came back, I was like, oh, like Babs dances the same kind of Kizomba I've seen in Paris. Like I was, Mm. you know, because there were some weird things going on in Montreal before that. Um, You know, like just when things are starting out and it's sort of like, it's not really Kizomba. anyways I won't get into that but it wasn't it wasn't what I had seen in Paris so I was like excited when I first met Babs um and then uh I think someone had invited me to a house party and that's where I met Thierry I don't know if you remember Thierry um but he used to be more involved he moved to China as well like several years ago I've heard of that Um, name before I think you told me about him but I never met him yeah I think he's the one maybe who um, who had trained Tara originally that you'd have to ask her about that. But, um, he was there and, uh, Nico was there and like, basically you could fit the entire Kizomba scene from Montreal into one basement apartment. Like that's how Mm. small it was. So that's where I met all the other people. Well, well, Nico, actually I had met prior to leaving to Paris because he used to go to the salsa zook on the, on the Wednesday. I met him there, but, um, but I met like Wendy and and different other people who are who are still active in the in the scene. And then after that, I had started practicing a little bit. I think with Wendy, like I, I think I was practicing with him more than other people. But basically, I'd just come across a good lead um, at an event, and I would be like, "Hey, do you want to come practice?" Because I had these access to these beautiful studios at the university. Um, you know, at all hours of the day, like if I wanted to, I could go and practice in a beautiful studio at 2am with a guy if I if I wanted to, right. Um, So, so that was really helpful. And then I practiced a little bit with Babs, but it was because we were we collaborated on um, a Kizomba performance that we did. It was maybe January 2013, I want to say. And it was, it was like a, a publicity for his new school Kizo Love. And it was at this bachata event with Ataka y la Alemana, I remember. And we did like a duet. Um, that was my very first Kizomba performance that I actually put on. Because even though um, in Paris I was part of that troupe, I never actually got to perform with them because I left like before any of the performances actually happened. So, mm. so yeah, that was my first Kizomba performance. Um, and then after that, I was... Um, because I had been um, in Paris, it sort of gave me a little boost compared to like other people who had just been learning through Montreal, right? So there weren't really, the, the follows were just kind of emerging and the leads were just emerging. Um, so I quickly got asked to start like assisting different people who were going to start trying to give classes. So like I assisted Babs for a little bit, not that long, just a, a little bit with him. And then um, a guy named Pedro. I had assisted a few times as well. Um, and then 2014, Africa Dancer, I was actually supposed to compete with Pedro for that. But um, a week before the competition, uh, <laughs> we actually switched partners. So do you remember Eloise? Yes, I remember Eloise. Okay, so I was partnered with 
Pedro and you know Cyril, right? Mm-hmm. So Cyril was partnered with Eloise. And, you know, there was a a deadline for signing up for this competition. But what ended up happening is that, you know, I had been studying um, choreography at school. So, like, I I feel good when it comes to choreography, right? But Pedro, he wouldn't let me choreograph anything. And it was Mm -hmm. irritating me. Um, And also, like, he was, he kept saying things like, oh, like, dance more like Eloise and stuff whatever that means. But clearly he liked Eloise, right? I was thinking. So I proposed to Cyril, like we were kind of just talking one night and I'm like, oh, how are things going with your couple? And he was like, you know, like we haven't gotten that far or whatever. And I came up with this plan to like switch partners. So (laughs) a week before the competition, I said to Pedro, I'm like, listen, we can can do the, the choreography together if you want. Or you can dance with Eloise and I can dance with Cyril and you can just keep the music and the choreo and whatever and just do your own thing. And then I'll make up a choreo separate and stuff. And I told this to Cyril as well. I was like, don't worry. Like I got you. I got the music and the choreo. Like, don't worry. A week is enough time. Like we just mm-hmm. need to learn it and, and pr- be able to perform it. And you know, that's good. So we, that's what we ended up doing. So a, a week before we switched partners, um, and then, yeah, I'm not going to get into the whole politics of the the competition, but in the end, I'll say in the end, we were awarded first place. Um, and then all of our expenses were paid for me and Cyril to go overseas to compete in the um, in the finals for Africa Dance R. So um, for people who don't know what Africa Dance R is, can you explain? Was that the first year Africa Dance R was in Montreal or? No. Uh, Oh, for Montreal. Yes, it was. um, I was going to say the first and the last, but that's not true. They also came. um, It was hosted by by, I think they only did two years or something like that. Yeah. So like 2015, the following year, um, it was hosted by Regan in Toronto. And Surreal won that year as well. But he had I wasn't I wasn't uh, working with him that time. But um but yeah, so if you think like nowadays, if you think like, what's the biggest Kizomba competition out there? Maybe people would say Olympiads potentially, mm-hmm. like is maybe the best, well, like the most well-known, but sure. um, Africa Dance Art was actually bigger than Olympiads. Like it was, it was really massive. Um, they would have, yeah, you know, uh, from my understanding, it was global, yeah. It was global. So they had um, representatives, like it was a whole association. They had representatives who would travel to different countries to judge the competitions. Um, and if you made it through, so the the rules, well, there were set rules, but um, basically in the end, if you came first place, all of your expenses were paid to go and compete in the finals. So like literally they bought us a trip to Italy um, for a week and we were given like access to specialty workshops, um, full Congress passes because it was actually a Congress as well. Um, and they had like big performers like at the time, C4, C4 Pedro was like mm-hmm. really big. So I got to see him perform, Puto Portugues, Perola, you know, it was like and Miss Miss Universe was like the or something along those lines or Miss Portugal or I I can't remember but there was like some beauty pageant um, winner that was like the presenter of the awards and then they had a panel of like several big names like 
um, Sarah Lopez at the time. She was like mm-hmm. very well known and she, you know, and previous competitors and stuff. So the year that I did it, the winners were um, Crispy and Elodie. Yeah, I remember them. Yeah. And the year prior, it, it was an interesting time because um, so there there were a lot of politics that happened with that competition. And, you know, people have recently actually put out some some different um, material about that. So you can look into that stuff separately if you're interested. But um, it, it was interesting because um, I'll just talk about the finals. So a lot of people didn't really hear about what happened um, with with the finals. They only heard about, you know, what happened maybe in Montreal locally and, mm-hmm. and other places, but um, in the finals. So basically on the Friday was the day that any country that didn't have a competitor could compete as well as every couple that placed second place in their country. And then on the Saturday um, it was like a qualifying round for everyone who placed first. But the part that, that didn't really make sense to me is that we were asked to prepare like a whole new choreography. So like we had three weeks to prepare a new choreography for this competition and we never actually got to perform it in the, the finals. That's why I don't have any, you know, I have pictures of myself at the event, but I don't even have pictures of myself performing, performing the choreo that I made because, um, because we were actually eliminated in a, one of the qualifying rounds. So what happened was the Friday, which was the day that all of the second cu- the second place um, couples competed, mm-hmm. they selected 11 people to go through to the finals, which meant that on the Saturday, they eliminated 11 couples of the people who placed first, mm-hmm. which to me doesn't really make much sense. But anyways, that's, that's what happened. Um, so I, we didn't even get to perform our choreography. We only got to do like a 30 second improv. Um, and then we were one of the 11 couples that were, that didn't get to go through to the, um, yeah, that sounds really weird. If if you're going to pay for people to go to there to only dance 30 seconds seems that's literally what it was. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like it was just, it was making me, um, reflect earlier today. I was writing this stuff down so I could remember, um, you know, what to, what to say. And, um, it's just like, it's really important to have like a judging criteria and technical standards. If you're going to host a competition, especially Um, at that scale. Yeah, not only that, but like you have to realize too that, I mean, you remember, Charles, like 2012, um, there was no, oh, sorry, 2014. It wasn't 2012, it was 2014. There was, um, there was no urban kids definition as of yet. Well, exactly. maybe there was, but not on a global scale, at least, right? So the thing is, like in Montreal, I would say that I've only ever known, well, now let's say there's, all different types. There's Kizamba and there's urban kids. But before, it, it, people just called it Kizamba, but really it was Kizamba fusion mm-hmm. um, that everyone was dancing. And same with us. Like what what I had experienced in Paris was Kizamba fusion, and what everyone else who I had seen dancing, they were all doing Kizamba fusion as well. But then at this competition, there were a lot of couples that really were dancing Kizamba. Um, and it's a Kizamba competition and Mm. there was not a separate category for like urban kids because it wasn't a thing yet. I got you. Not that there would have been a category for that, but you know what I mean? Like it, like there was no criteria to tell you 
what was acceptable in terms of dance and what wasn't like literally the criteria was we want a piece that's a minute and a half of kizomba and 30 seconds of another african rhythm which could be semba or or you know any other style yeah so that's where like i guess olympiads made it a little bit different and clear because they had the authentic style, they had the central category, they had the Tadashio category, category, and then they had the urban category. So there was four different categories and defined to the best of the ability that Laurent had to kind of let people know like, hey, these are the different categories that you can dance in and whatever you feel is your strongest, those are the ones that you can decide to compete in, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember... I, okay, there was a couple, I'm really bad with names, Charles, but okay, there was a couple named, I want to say Amadou and Ali, uh, Ali? Amadou and it was I A and A. It started Ali? with A. Ali? Ali? This is bad. I should at least, you know, it's not fair that I would only remember the guy's name, but, um, but anyways, I was talking to the guy. I think his name was Amadou. And Amadou, he was from France. yes. Yeah. Amadou and a last name that starts with an M. Anyways. Uh, I know who you're talking about. I was like, I was talking to him and I'm like, cause he was in the same uh, situation as us. I was, I was like, Oh, so you didn't get to do your choreo- choreography either. And he's like, well, no, like, I mean, um, they had already let through like they, I was like, but you guys were so good. Like, how did they not let you through? And he was like, well, you know, like, if you think about it, there's already Elodie and Crispy and there was also Anso and Nima. You remember Mm -hmm. them? Mm -hmm. So they had both made it through. Like they, they had already predetermined pretty much like how many people from, like they weren't going to let through three couples from France if they were eliminating 11 people, 11 couples, 22 people. So so yeah, they didn't make it through. But I was like, in my head, I was like, ah, that's so unfair because you guys were so good. In my opinion, I thought they were really good, you know. So if they're it's listening, Amadou they and Elise. <laughs> and Elise, I was right, right? I'm yes. doing Elise. Yeah. Okay. So I'll link yeah. a, a demo of them in the show notes if people are curious <laughs> about it. I'm, I'm pretty sure they've seen them, but these these I want to say they had their rise like 2017, 2018. I don't think they're dancing together anymore, but they okay. definitely had a, a nice style for sure. Yeah. And I, I, it's funny because like, you know, at the time I didn't know a lot of the people who were competing, but in retrospect, I'm like, oh, hey, that that's, um, you know, France and Sarah, or, I think that's their names. Anyways, there were a lot of people that nowadays would be recognized who were part of this competition. Mm-hmm, um, even sure. NUL, um, and there was actually a bit of an uproar because the prior year, um, a lot of people had said that he should win with Hakima. Because they really had, I mean, he was doing his Kizomba 2.0, but for this competition, he really did dance Kizomba, you know, and he did it well. And um, like he followed like really what, what a good example would be of this competition, but he Mm -hmm. didn't, um, but he didn't, uh, he didn't win, but he could have, he should have maybe, you know. Um, Yeah. Anyways. It's just uh, a lot of this competition business is subjective, I think. and For sure. And it's hard because even today, like, I don't think Kizoma does the best job on defining what is and what isn't. There isn't really like a global committee to kind of define these things. And uh, you have a bunch of Facebook arguments and it can get a little bit hairy to like even do something that is perceived as legit, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyways, so you went to Africa Densar. 
and that was a fun experience for you. You came back to Canada, and mm -hmm. how soon before that were you in Ottawa? Because I guess all of this was when you were still in Montreal, yeah? Yeah, this is still Montreal, so <laughs> I know. I'll, I'll skip to the Ottawa part, but, um, but just to like highlight a few things in there. So after After I was assisting some various uh, instructors in Montreal, I gave my first set of classes like as my own classes that I was actually, you know, teaching and not just, you know, like assisting whoever else it was. Um, it was with Ophia. And I remember Babs kind of, you know, Ophia had just joined Kizo Love, but he's like, okay, go ahead, Ophia. You can do these classes with Lindsay. And we did, mm -hmm. we maybe did like one session. And I think that was prior to Africa Dance Art. So when I came back after that, um, I was planning on um, not continuing with Ophia, of course, because he was part of Kizo Love, but um, I was going to start giving classes with Cyril. Uh, But then we had a little bit of a falling out and then um, we're, we're all good now, but like, you know, these things happen partnerships. Sure. They're a little bit rough sometimes. Um, so I ended up moving to Toronto to do my teaching education. So I did, I did a second degree in education. Like, so for school teaching um, with a focus on teaching dance, I know that's a bit confusing, but Um, it was like a, a qualification for me to be able to teach dance as a subject, like let's say a high school dance teacher teaching gotcha. dance as a subject through the school system. But I can also teach other subjects like math and science too for for kids. But I don't I don't do that as much. Um, yeah, so I got that qualification in Toronto the year after. Um, And that year, that that was the year that I was sort of dabbling and leading a little bit. Like me and Janelle would meet up on on occasion, and because mm -hmm, she's um, based in Toronto. Yeah, and I did um I did do a few uh, workshops here and there as well, mostly with uh, Regan. I don't know if you remember her, mm -mm. Regan, and um um and her husband. They they would host me um for some things here and there um and. Uh, What else? Oh, yeah. Um, after that, I moved back to Ottawa. So that's the part you were interested in. Um, so that was like summer 2015. And then I sort of had started to work with this DJ, but it didn't work out. Um, so we sort of parted ways. And then, then I sort of um, developed Toka um, with Emily. You know, so you know Emily, right? So your goal at that particular time to spread Kizomba and to keep it going? Because... It seems like from what you shared with your story so far, it's been pretty cool to like learn to dance and to compete and everything mm -hmm. like that, you know? Um, so yeah. when did that turn into a passion to like actually start to grow the scene? Well, so it started off with a little bit like selfish motives, I'll say, is that um, I just wanted some people to dance with, you know, mm -hmm. like for myself to be able to dance with. I wanted to be able to have a social, first of all, um, that I could go to. Um, So I created a social and uh, then I wanted some people to dance with. So I trained some, you know, I wanted to teach some people to dance, um, to dance Kizomba. There, there was some Kizomba in Ottawa, like even Babs had been coming back prior. Like there was often at least one person coming back from Montreal to give classes, but it wasn't, um, it was maybe like a once a week thing. Like it, um, 
I don't know that when I arrived, let's just say that there was a lot of like, um, people dancing like Kole, you know, you know, with the head, the head touching and mm-hmm. like a lot of leaning happening and very, uh, I mean the style in, um, Montreal had already kind of moved past that point, but in Ottawa, it was still there, let's For say. Sure. So I was like, no, no, no. Like we need, you know, this is your axis. So introducing people to the axis of their body. And, um, I, I just like, I wanted to train people the way that I wanted to see them dancing, I guess you could say. Um, and then that sort of grew into like, there were some different passions growing. There was like, um, the fact that I was sort of starting to do like entrepreneurship, like starting my own um, business. So there, that was new and exciting for me. Um, there was the fact that I was uh, leading, which was also really fascinating for me because what I liked the best about leading um, and anyone who's worked with me as a follow would, will tell you this, like anyone from Toka, um, I love to create movements. So like we'd have practices, but most of the time, like, <laughs> you know, I feel like in a way, sometimes the girl was like my paint and mm. I could just kind of like fiddle around. And I know you like to do that too, Charles, like fiddle around. And um, I, I really like the mechanics of the dance. Like I like to sort of be like, hey, you can do this and you can do that and check this out and like creating new moves, which um Maybe like, I mean, if you look closely in my videos, you'll see innovative stuff, but maybe not consistently. Like, I'm not someone who creates something and then remembers it for another day. Like, exactly. Like, I'll create something and it'll come out in a video one time and then you'll never see it again, you know? Um, And I do know that people like better known people do have like in the past watched my videos and been inspired by them and stuff. Cause you know, even, even nowadays, like even the summer I was looking at YouTube um, and I was like, Hey, there's my move from like four years ago or whatever, you know, Mm. like, I mean, not to say that they didn't also create it, but you know, like I'm sure that's happened to you as well. Like where you're, where you're watching, you're like, people do watch me. They just don't say it, but they do. But it's interesting to see like what inspiration could have. Yeah. Like we've all been inspired from different people and then uh, you can maybe, Hey, here's the start of some move that somebody did. And then you adapt one part of it or you slow it down or you speed it up or you take it to a different direction. So the core inspiration might've been somebody, but then you adapted it and created that. And then you taught that in a workshop and then somebody else does the same thing, you know? So it's hard to, To say yeah, you can't like um, claim ownership over moves or I guess anything. It depends like, on how unique it is, you know, or how easy yeah, it is at a skill level, you know, because uh, mm-hmm. there's definitely like obviously Enna's lifting up Carolina, like that's obviously <laughs> his move, you know. But yeah, although that's for, not something you see often in a social, you know, it's sure. like more like a performance thing. Um, but yeah, like there are things like like to this day in my in my mind i always think that the block like you know when we talk about like a mechanical block to the side you know that block mm-hmm. that i'm talking about for me it was always created by nul whether or not that was true like with his kizomba 2.0 um maybe maybe not but that was the first video that i saw and that was the first person that i saw doing that and and i remembered it cuz at the time it was unique so i don't know if he maybe if there were other people doing that in paris but that was for me, he created that, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, um, I guess we all sort of share material with each other 
because we, sure. we've all watched videos and analyzed them too and tried to figure out, oh, how did this person do that and stuff? Exactly. But I think when you start to like give moves names and I guess it's, it's, it becomes mm-hmm. more of a thing if you create it with a partner, like JP and Steffi definitely have some unique moves that where if I see that somewhere else, I could say, oh, that obviously came from, from JP and Steffi, depending on how it looks, but it's still very subjective for sure. And maybe a Tango person will see JP and Steffi's move and be like, oh, well, they're not as original as a Kizoma person would look at them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's true. So. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Toka. And I think definitely think that your school has been one of the longest lasting schools in North America that has been teaching consistently um, to help grow the scene there. And I remember there was a podcast with um, Gigi and Gigi and JJ. I, I know I'm saying their name wrong, but... Uh, Maya was there and Jules was there and they were talking about good um, male follows. And obviously, so obviously Elvis was mentioned as being a really good male follow and people were wondering like, Hey, like, well, what's, what has Elvis done or what, what are the characteristics of a good lead and people mentioned that like, Hey, well, they follow and they're really good at following. It's going to make them a better lead, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously like for those people who don't know, Elvis was one of your students there in Ottawa and mm-hmm. he's definitely grown as a really good lead now. And he can do both sides for sure, which is also rare. And mm-hmm. well, that's how, that's the Toka way, Charles. For sure. So <laughs> yeah. talk to us about the, the Toka way. Um, okay. So for Elvis, um, He's a little bit of a different case because, uh, you know, he started taking classes, but he progressed well. He's really good at like, um, you know how me and you, when we teach, we give a lot of like random imagery and like information that maybe like kind of, it can be overlooked, right? Like there's a lot of detail there. And he was really like, he caught like a lot of it. Like Mm. him. Um, Sarah is another one. Sarah Willette. She was really good. And, and Vero too. Vero. Um, anyways, he, um, he ended up uh, teaching with us um, like not long into it, maybe two years after he had started the classes, let's say. And um, he started then training with us. So I would train with Vero and Emily and usually I would lead them. Um, so now it was like, um, I was leading those two, but I was also leading Elvis. So when we would sort of nitpick things mm-hmm. as a group, you know, and I'd start going on, you know, like I'd obviously when we practice, um, <laughs> I'm just thinking Vero is going to listen to this and say, oh my gosh, um, because I, I can be very, uh, <laughs> not critical, but like very precise with things. I'm like, your foot is there, but like really like if you just think about naturally placing your weight, it should technically be like, you know, like half an inch over, like it makes a difference, you know? Mm, Um, So all of that kind of rich information that um, like that maybe, I mean, it is in the classes as well, but I mean, as a group of experienced dancers, we can kind of bring it to another level. And so we were bringing that stuff to a different level and he was there with us. So I was leading them. I was leading him. 
Um, and also he was, um, he started kind of filling in as well as a follow in the classes. So an interesting thing happened, Charles, um, after I started leading, um, a lot of the girls got inspired by it and then they wanted to start leading too, because really we've always had a shortage of uh, men in the community to lead. Mm -hmm. And the girls, they just didn't want to wait around anymore. And they're like, well, you know, like Lindsay doesn't sit down at a party. Like she can just go and ask anyone like guy or girl to dance and, you know, have a good time. And, you know, they were like, I don't want to be sitting on a bench and waiting for a guy to become available. Like I want to be able to dance with whoever I want to dance with. So exactly. actually it got to a point <laughs> and this is kind of funny, but like it got to a point where the classes were primarily women leads so it was funny because you'd see a guy enter into the space okay there's like one guy 10 girls he goes mm. up to the first, he goes up to the first girl and she's like oh sorry i'm leading second girl oh sorry i'm leading you know and you'd make it around the circle and you'd realize there were really only two girls there to follow mm. so you know all of us all of us instructors um at the classes because at that point we were sort of running them the four of us together so like uh, me emily vero and elvis um, we were all follows. <laughs> we weren't leading, you know, so, like I would sort of maybe do a bit more leading than the others because um, I was like primarily the, the one teaching, but like really we were all rotating and following. So Elvis um, also was, was uh, following in the classes more so than any other guy. I got you. And I think that's really um, key because when you do learn what a good lead feels like and what a clear lead feels like and what a weak lead or an unclear lead or an overly forceful lead feels like, then it helps you to understand, to reflect that back when now you're in that role and make your lead stronger, smoother, clear, you know, but yeah. I don't think a lot of guys are willing to put themselves in that position for a long period of time in order to, to improve, you know? Well, so like I found um, another thing that I really liked about uh, leading and why it was so inspiring for me when I started in 2015 with that was um, because I found that it was actually helping my following. So things that I hadn't realized that I was doing, I could sort of bounce off it. Like the, the information was bouncing back and forth in terms of my understanding as a follow as well. Mm hmm. Um, that said, there's like a, <laughs> there's like a mode of leader's brain and follow brain that kind of, when you dabble in both, it's sort of like you have to do a quick switch and it's not always like that automatic. Let's say like you've been leading all night and all of a sudden someone asks you to follow. It's like, mm -hmm. you really need to sometimes consciously think about like, okay, release, like you are no longer in charge. You know what I mean? Like just, to, sure. um, but apart from that, it, um, I found that it was mostly helpful for the following and vice versa. The leads who are able to um, follow, like, I think if you ask Elvis, I don't know, like you'd have to ask him, but I think he would probably tell you that following helped his leading as well. For sure. Definitely. But yeah, he's, we also can't neglect, neglect the fact that he's like a super talented guy too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I didn't give him talent. He he just showed up with talent and, and we worked with, what he had, right? For sure. Definitely. And I mean, not to say that there's probably more people out there with talent, but don't put in the work. And so then, then that talent never gets, um, never gets a chance to get uh, developed, you know? Yeah. That's sort of, that's sort of the part that I find sometimes sad about teaching because 
you see the potential, right? Definitely. You see the potential of everyone that you work with um, as a student or even other instructors too. Like you see everyone's, everyone's potential, but whether they like fulfill their potential is another question, you know? Definitely. Yeah. So, um, how many remember, years? Um, oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to ask how many years were you teaching at Toka before um, you decided to travel to Asia and a little bit, I guess, going into your decision for that? Oh, um, well, okay. So this fall, this month actually is our fifth year anniversary of Toka. Um, so that school has existed for fires. And I guess I left last fall to go to Asia. I was supposed to leave in the summer. So I actually stopped teaching at Toka like June of last year. So like almost a year and a year and a few months ago. Um, but before that I was doing, um, I had all the performance troops going as well at Toka. And um, I don't know, I just, I felt like I needed a change. Mm -hmm. Like I had sort of, um, I had gotten to the point where I had, fulfilled certain things that I had set out to do with Kizomba. Um, so like one of the things was teaching at NeoKiz. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm happy I got to do that. Um, Mexico city. That was, that was like a major Congress as well. Um, I got to travel and do the majority of the Congresses in Canada. Um, you know, there were certain things that I had set out to, to achieve and I had achieved those things. Um, I just sort of felt like it was time for a change. Um, so as you know, with Kizomba, like it's hard to pay the bills with just Kizomba. And I had, I had been supply teaching on the side, but I had sort of been neglecting my supply teaching because it's really a flexible job. Like it's a day-to-day -day, uh, job. Mm -hmm. I, I can work as many or as, uh, as few days as I want in a year and keep the job. So, um, it, it's good for dancing, but I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't making it out ahead with like my student debt and that sort of thing. So, um, I figured I should just take like a permanent position, but I decided that I want, instead of just taking a job in Ottawa, like I was just kind of getting bored with Ottawa a little bit. Um, not because of the people or anything, but just, it's a small city, you know, for sure, definitely. And I had never been to Asia the thought just sort of crossed my mind and I'm like, yeah, let, let's do it. So I had been um, looking online at um, placement agencies that list, you know, like overseas uh, teaching jobs. So there's, there's a site for, for teachers that list like um, for people who have university degrees in, um, in education um, who can actually use those skills overseas. So I found um, through that website that I was able to um, teach dance in China, but they weren't offering dance as a subject in any other country, just China. And mm -hmm. China had maybe like three positions open for a dance teacher. Um, so I applied to all of them. Um, I got one of them in Beijing. So I ended up taking that. And now I'm teaching dance full time but I'm teaching dance for kids. So last year I was teaching kindergarten through grade five. And this year I've actually switched positions a little bit. So I'm going to be teaching high school dance. 
um, from grade four up until the end of high school. And nice. And how's that experience been going? Um, it's been good. It's been, it's been different. Like when I say teaching dance, it's, um, back to sort of, you know, like my contemporary roots and, um, like just dance as a, as a general subject. So I'm able to do like all sorts of different styles with them. You know, I've pulled out my tap shoes after however many years and I've, you know, been, I even brought my skates to Beijing because believe it or not, the school that I'm teaching at has a skating rink. Like it's, it's very nice. It's a, a private school. So it's really well equipped. Um, it's kind of like a little mini university campus. Nice. So, um, so yeah, like we have an arts center on the campus. Um, so like I can actually put on productions there and stuff as well. So it's been really busy, but it's been really fulfilling in that way. Um, because I can really like see the growth of my students too, which I really like. Cause they come in, um, not necessarily having even any dance background, but like I do all sorts of different styles with them. You know, we, we do classical training. We even do some hip hop and stuff. Yeah. It's been really rewarding mostly. Nice. And obviously you had to come back. You're currently in Ottawa because you had to come back because of COVID. And then if I remember correctly, you said you're a few months away to heading back again. Yeah. So I'm heading back October 2nd. So what happened last year <laughs> was that it really took me forever to get my visa. I'm not sure if um, it had anything to do with relationship status right now between um, both countries. Uh, but um, I only got there maybe November of last year. Um, and then I went away for Chinese New Year to Cambodia on vacation. And that's when this whole COVID thing broke out. Um, and then I sort of had a decision to make, like, was I going to take my return ba flight back to China or was I going to come back to Canada? So at the time, it seemed safer to come to Canada. I sort of feel in retrospect, had I known how everything would have developed over here, I would have honestly just gone back to China. But um, because I chose to come back to Ottawa, I honestly haven't been able to go back because they closed the borders um, and they canceled everyone's uh, visas or permanent residence cards uh, who were there prior to the pandemic or who left during the pandemic mm -hmm. um, or who who had theirs from prior to the pandemic. So I had to get a whole new visa issued just to be able to return. So that's honestly taken me until now. And I actually just went this morning to pick up my, my visa. So I have it now and I'm leaving on October 2nd. And then once I get there, <laughs> I have to go to a, a quarantine hotel. So they're very strict over there. They're going to bring me straight from the airport to a quarantine hotel where I have to stay for two weeks and get like tests every day, like different types, you know, nose swabs and blood tests and the works. Um, and after two weeks, if I am deemed to be clean of any COVID, they'll let me go back to the school. So I'm looking at getting back to work around, uh, around October 20th. Nice. But the rest, the rest of last semester, I actually taught dance classes to my students online. So I was teaching this whole time, um, but through Zoom, which was an interesting experience. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of the instructors adapting to teaching online has definitely been a process, yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you been teaching classes online too? 
Um, just a little bit. I haven't taught a lot. Um, I've just been really focusing on learn to kids and keeping that going. And I've been working on some website stuff to revamp that, but I haven't felt compelled to teach live classes on online. Uh, I feel like it has a different feel to it. And then of course I was going through my surgery and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like I was trying to get into my, my back into my flow after my surgery. Mm-hmm. And you're recovering well? Yeah, the recovery has been really well. The heart rate is going well. Uh, my blood levels are good. So no complaints on that end. And then recently I've been getting back into tennis a little bit as well. So that's been fun. And so, yeah, we'll see how it gets back into teaching and everything. But I guess it's mm-hmm. just been interesting because no teaching, no organizing for like almost six months now. So Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty interesting, you know. Yeah, I um I feel like uh it worked out well for me, I guess, that I had this second job that just kind of came in time um that I was able to fall back on, but I definitely feel for all of the Kizamba instructors right now who have just sort of been trying to stick with that through this pandemic. Yeah, it makes it hard for sure. Yeah. I was just looking over my my notes for this uh interview cuz you know um I have a really bad memory, so I actually had to write it all down. But um, Mm -hmm. fun fact. So um, you know how I was telling you about that Afro dance troupe that I was doing with this guy, Elde Bamina. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyways, there was a girl in that troupe who actually years later ended up becoming Simeon's Kizomba partner and named Kirtum, Malicia Muchachos on Facebook. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyways, she was in she was in that troupe with me. But it's funny because like at the time she wasn't dancing Kizomba or anything. I don't know. It's just it's just funny. Like it makes you think it's a really small world out there, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, I have two kind of last questions here. Um, We have hit the 90 minute mark. So. Oh, really? Oh, my Mm -hmm. gosh. Meanwhile, I thought I was going to be one of those 45 minute uh, (laughs) interviews. No, sometimes the time just flies by really, really fast, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, let's do these little two quick questions and then we'll talk about the ending quote and then we'll get close to end the podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, what is a interesting quirk about you that not a lot of people know about? Um... I don't know if I can say not a lot of people know this, but maybe if you've taken a class with me, it's been obvious, but I like to twirl my hair like a lot. Like I do it and I don't even notice that I'm doing it. Like I could Mm. give a whole speech and twirl my hair and it's probably the most distracting thing for everyone else in the classroom, but I do it a lot. That's like one quirk that I, I've always done like since I was four, maybe. (laughs) Since I had hair. <laughs> nice. All right. And second question will be, what is the first app that you opened up on your phone in the morning? Um, I don't know. Like, I'm not really much of an app person. Like, before I was really into Facebook, but I, I don't know if people have noticed, but I've really, like, tried to... Um, stay away from Facebook as much as possible. Just, just cause to a certain extent, I think it's healthy, you know, not to be on social media as much. Mm-hmm. Um, of course I know for business, it's like, um, you know, you use it for marketing and stuff and there's like a certain obligation there. But since I've been primarily 
teaching kids and not, you know, using Facebook as like a dance platform. I tried to stay off. So I guess you could say that the app that I open in the morning is like literally just my Gmail to see if I have any like business um, or any like school uh, memos or anything that I need to look at. Like I, nice. I don't, I'm not even on TikTok, or I I do have Instagram, but I never go on it. Um, so if you write me a message there, I probably won't respond for like six months. Um, but yeah, like I'm not on Snapchat, anything. I'm just just trying to like be very low key right now. I got you. So mm-hmm. to move towards the end of the podcast here, um, do you have an inspirational quote to share with our audience? Um, okay. So this one is from Martha Graham and it's something that I have cut out on my wall. Um, okay. It's a bit lengthy. Do you want me to read the whole thing? Sure. Okay. There is a vitality, a life force, a quickening that is translated through you into action. And there is only one of you in all time. This expression is unique. And if you block it, it will never exist through any other medium and be lost. The world will will not have it. It is not your business to determine how it is, not how it compares with others' expression. It's your business to keep it yours clearly and directly, to keep the channel open. You You do not even need to believe in yourself or your work. You have to keep open and aware directly to the urges that motivate you. Keep the channel open. No artist is pleased. There is no satisfaction, whatever, at any time. There is only a queer divine dissatisfaction, a blessed unrest that keeps us marching and makes us more alive than the others. So that's a quote basically about dancers. And I feel it really, uh, it's a good reminder because um, a lot of, a lot of artists, like in any medium, you know, painters, uh, spoken word artists, everyone, um, a lot of us are perfectionists and I know for myself, like I'm never satisfied with anything that I do. And I think a lot of people um, feel the same way, but it's sort of, it's true that like at a certain point you have to let it go because being a dancer or any artist in general is like a calling more than anything. Like it's sort of like it has to come out of you. And if it doesn't come out of you, then it will have never existed in this world, you know? which is powerful when you think about it. Mm-hmm, definitely. And not letting your, your judgment of your work keep you from like continuing to progress, you know, because obviously um, you're going to be your harshest critic. And sometimes mm-hmm. that deters you from, from even starting certain projects because sometimes you have ideas where they just stay as ideas in your brain, you know? That's true. Like I'm not finished with Kizomba either. You know, I was, <laughs> I already have like, different ideas that I want to pursue um, with Kizamba. But at the same time, I'm, you know, I I don't know. They could, these ideas could just stay in my head. You know, Mm -hmm. I I don't know if they're going to surface or what's going to happen with them or maybe another artist will have the idea somewhere else in the world and, and it'll, you know, but it's true that everyone's expression is unique to them too. So like, even if someone else has a parallel thought, to yours somewhere else in the universe, like it's never going to be identical, you know? Exactly. It's always going to be your own version. Definitely. Okay, Lindsay. Um, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to sit down and have a chat with me. Um, I know we haven't 
been in touch a lot, but this year has been kind of crazy, you know, and mm-hmm. just trying to get back into the swing of things. Um, but I appreciate you coming on and sharing a bit of your story and some North American Kizomba history as well, because I guess that time period from like 2012 to like 2015, 2016 was um, a key point for uh, Kizomba in, in North America and also in Europe, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it, like a lot has happened, I think, in a short amount of time, mm-hmm. you know? And it's funny because, um, so I know you're really trying to get me off the phone here, but, um, you know, I, the course that I, I was taking an additional course for my teaching this summer, like an additional dance um, dance credit basically mm-hmm. for teaching. And, um, one thing that came up, like we had, um, uh, we had a workshop with a hip hop artist from, um, from Toronto. And he was saying that actually the hip hop community is moving away from the term urban. Yeah. I heard about because that. Of, yeah. And it's just interesting because now I'm thinking, okay, so urban kids, like, is that going to happen in a parallel way for us? Like, are we going to come up with a different name because urban kids isn't politically correct anymore? Or will it just be like, or will it just be like Tara show will take over the world or what's going to (laughs) happen? I guess it's going to be interesting. And I guess hip hop is obviously like a way bigger scene for sure. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure how much of the outside world would influence what's going on in, in Kizomba, you know? Mm Hmm. I guess will be interesting to see. Yeah, I don't know, but a lot of a lot of the Kizomba teachers are hip hop, come from a hip hop background too. Mm-hmm. Even I was in a hip hop troupe. I didn't tell you about that in my thing, but yeah, a while ago. But the main thing is um, like if there is going to be a name, like how do you make how do you choose a name that's not um, somebody's brand, and who's going to have that authority to make that name switch and have everybody else follow through? You know. Yeah, that's that's the other thing is like, because um, I sort of feel like with Kizomba, this is final thoughts, okay? <laughs> um, with Kizomba or Kiz, Kiz umbrella in general, I feel like in a way there are too many cooks in the kitchen, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the problem, part of it, like the problem with like the lack of unison is that um, there are too many people wanting to be the trend starters, you know? like trying to be trying to be in that position of like, Oh, I created urban kids or I created this form of, of uh, my own style, you know, Mm -hmm. but then it gets to dissected into like different categories. And then there's no, there's people aren't following one specific trend, right? Or there has to be some base level and then branches from that, you know, but Mm -hmm. if everybody's trying to create their own tree, then it j- it just makes things confusing, you know. Versus like, hey, here are all of the core fundamental moves for Kizomba Fusion or Urban Kids and have you. And this is where what I do is different, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think yeah. I mean I've interviewed a lot of people from the Brazilian Zook side as well, and mm-hmm. there are several couples that have come up with like full curriculums and pedagogies, and I think that helps solidify. Um, some level of understanding from like beginner, intermediate, advanced, and then mm-hmm. any deviation from that is um, clear, you know. But if you don't have that clear um, beginner, intermediate, advanced curriculum, then it's just a hot mess sometimes, you know. Yeah, 
and I know I said I wasn't going to touch this subject whatsoever, but um, in terms of Kizomba, like in a way, it's sort of a shame that Kizomba isn't the trunk of the tree because I feel like it is in a way. Like for us, it's it's the core, right? For it's sure. the it's the foundation of everything on which you know you're able to experiment and you're able to do um, all of these other things. But I I agree with the whole coming up with um, a written pedagogy because I feel like any any technique in general should be able to be broken down. Like Definitely. I was telling you earlier, even just to have a competition in something, you need to be able to describe a technique before you can start to judge who's better at that technique, right? For sure. Definitely. Mm-hmm. All right, Lindsay. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be quiet now. <laughs> okay. I'll let well, you finish the interview. <laughs> for sure. Well, once again, thank you so much for taking some time out of your night to come and chat. And we'll definitely be in touch and we'll be on the lookout for your any, I guess, potential projects that may come down the line, you know? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe I'll have some um, Asian uh, performance troops. You never know. <laughs> nice. All right, Han. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks, Charles. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey. Mm-hmm.